from Montreal in La Belle Provence, Quebec, Canada, this is Radio Rotary. Good morning, everyone. This is Jonah Trebowasa speaking to you from the 101st Annual Rotary International Convention here in Montreal. Please join me for the next half hour as we speak to some of the 17,000 Rotarians who have gathered here this week to celebrate the great service Rotary does for people around the world. My next guest on Radio Rotary is Wayne Risch of the Fountain Hills, Arizona Rotary Club, and we're going to be talking about Rotarians for something called microcredit. Wayne, welcome to Radio Rotary. Thank you, Jonah. Glad to be with you. What is microcredit? Simply speaking, microcredit is when we loan very small amounts of money to individuals who have a skill, but they have no access to credit from any other sources. They use the money to start a small business that ends up being successful about 98% of the time, or they fund an existing business that's undercapitalized. So you're putting people to work, you're giving them some self-esteem and self-confidence. Where are these microcredit loans going? Actually, microcredit exists all over the world. Microcredit is the world's most successful anti-poverty intervention. Uh, the particular project that my club is working with is on the border of the U.S.-Mexico border uh, in Nogales, Arizona. Uh, we work with a, with a non-profit bank there, uh, and the non-profit bank does all the legwork with individuals, helping them develop business plans. Uh, uh, they meet every two weeks to discuss how the business is going, to collect the funds that are amortized over the four-month loan cycle, and it ends up being successful about 98% of the time. So you're not just throwing money at a problem, but you're giving some education on how to be a successful business person. Is that right? That's exactly right. The other thing that happens, and you said it earlier, it's not just the finance, although the finance and the economics are important. The individual transformation that takes place uh, sociologically, because this is all done within a borrowing group of four to fifteen people, and the four to fifteen people help each other develop business ideas if their business runs into a problem because they've all signed a group promissory note, uh, pledging to pay not only their loan, but the loan of any other individual whose businesses does not succeed. So it's a very cooperative venture. What kind of businesses has at uh, your clubs, uh, especially yours in Fountain Hills, Arizona, what kind of businesses are we talking about? Well, about 85% of our clients are female, uh, mostly mothers with an average of about three children who are really interested in being sure that their children have a much better future than they've had. Essentially, about 25% of those businesses would be food-related. Uh, some of them are fabulous bakers. One of my favorite uh, is uh, Senora Garcia, uh, who was known as the baker in her community. Uh, Does she send you samples? Yes, uh, she'd be happy to do that. But as an example, Senora Garcia has been borrowing now for two years. Uh, she borrows up to about $800 for four months. And she and her husband have developed a business that's so successful that they provide cakes and cookies and pastries to 16 stores in Nogales, Mexico every day. So for a very, as you say, micro-investment of $800, which a big bank is not interested in loaning anything less than 100000 for a very small investment, you put a family back on their feet. That's just terrific, Wayne. It, it, that's exactly right. In fact, Senor Garcia started out by borrowing $100, and she proved to herself and she proved to her peers in the borrowing group that the business idea was, uh, was successful. And so she's been able to progress slowly, expand the business, manage it carefully, 
the other thing that our bank tells us in about 40% of the cases is these little family businesses are so successful that families are actually able to stay together and live together in Mexico on the Mexican side of the border. Husbands and sons don't have to cross the border illegally looking for work to sustain families because there's so few jobs and the minimum wage in Nogales is so low. Well, Wayne Wish of the Fountain Hills, Arizona Rotary, thank you for this wonderful project that you're doing with microcredit, and thank you for joining us on Radio Rotary. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Jonah. Thank you. Our next guest on Radio Rotary is Gordon Conger. Uh, from uh, Kansas, and he is at the desk here with a lot of various implements and tools, and he appears to be manufacturing eyeglasses right here in Montreal at the Rotary International Convention. Gordon, good morning and welcome to Radio Rotary. Well, thank you very much. We're glad to be here. So, Gordon, why are you manufacturing eyeglasses here for people to, uh, to purchase? Well, this is a companion project, primarily to go along with other rotary projects that you're doing when you're leaving your hometown and going principally overseas or in another country to do something. Um, these are reader-type glasses that you can make right on the spot. They're composed of primarily uh, uh, stainless steel wire of some type and a plastic lens that we buy out of China. And... Uh, you can make reading glasses right on a spot. We even had a, uh, a prescription board that you can use to, to make these things. So you go to poorer countries, you bring um, the board, which has various uh, optics, various magnifications, right. have the uh, per, uh, 12 magnifications, and have the people look at it, and then you'll know what prescription they need, and you manufacture glasses right there? That's exactly right. That's just terrific. And you can... You can make them right on the spot and see whether they're working or not. That's the greatest thing about it. And it's a companion project that we added to our uh, Bosch trips uh, to uh, dispense used eyeglasses. Well, and what, what does this cost? Because, I mean, you know, people go to the eye doctor uh, back in the United States where we are. They could pay $100, $150 for a pair of reading glasses. Uh, what does this cost the Rotary to supply reading glasses to the poor? Well, it's, they run about 50 cents a piece. That's terrific. Fifty cents a piece. That's great. And they're and they're good-looking glasses. Uh, I mean, they're they're wire rim and they're very fashionable. And um, they are. Sorry, say again. Yes, yes. Uh, would you like to talk with our optometrist here? Uh, Certainly, Potter? Dr. Ellis Potter of uh, is it Iola, Kansas? Iola, Kansas. Well, Ellis, welcome to Radio Rotary. Well, hello. So, uh, Gordon here was telling me about your eyeglass uh, project, and I see we're making eyeglasses. Now, you give a, uh, a optical exam to people. Do you also look for cataracts, things like that, like when I go to my eye doctor? We do. And what, what countries do you go to, sir? Well, we've uh, been concentrating on Chile, but uh, this project here can go anywhere, and that's our uh, thrust is that we want to get it distributed as widely as we can. Our foundation is new, and we've been in uh, uh, existence a, a couple of years, and we've uh, been able to... Uh, give these kits out to people that are going to 26 different countries. And it's simplicity in itself. You've just got some metal wire, a, uh, a wood brace, and the plastic lenses. It, it's not a lot of uh, uh, high-tech or heavy equipment to bring. Is that right, Doctor? It starts out with what looks like a bicycle spoke, and you bend it and twist it, and you end up making a frame that looks like a designer frame. And they're very nice. You know, I'm, all, I'm constantly losing my glasses, so, Dr. Ellis, I'm going to make a donation to your wonderful project, Vision Quest, in exchange for a pair of glasses. That's what a lot of Rotarians are doing today, right? Yeah, fair enough. That's great. They'll be used uh, uh, to, to help people in the third world. 
with Dr. Ellis Potter of Iola, Kansas Rotary. Thanks so much for joining us on Radio Rotary, and thank you for doing this marvelous project. And Gordon, thank you as well. Well, I'm glad you're here. Thank you. My next guest on Radio Rotary is David Berry of the Danville Sycamore Valley California Rotary Club. And David's going to tell us a little about the Wheelchair Foundation. David, what's that all about? Well, the Wheelchair Foundation was started about 10 years ago uh, by my father, Ken Baring. And to date, we've distributed about 825,000 wheelchairs in 153 countries. We work with thousands of Rotary Clubs over the years. Uh, I think we've done 225,000 wheelchairs with Rotary. And it's an incredible experience for Rotarians to go on a trip. They work with Rotarians from another country, distribute the wheelchairs, and usually one project spins off another. Before long, that club might be doing five or six projects with local clubs from that country. Now, are these new wheelchairs, refurbished wheelchairs, or a little boat? These are all brand new wheelchairs. We began with used wheelchairs, but the logistics were just too difficult. So these are all brand new wheelchairs. They're generally shipped uh, 260 or 280 in a container. And they look like they're very special wheelchairs. They've got an orange frame and um, rather large wheels. Are they specially designed by your uh, foundation? Yeah, they're uh, wheelchairs. We have solid tires that are puncture-proof, or we have pneumatic mountain bike tires. We have removable armrest, removable footrest, and they come in five different sizes. And the people that get it around the world, there's no charge to them, of course. There's no charge to the people. The, the people that sponsor the wheelchairs, Rotarians from that country, the United States, uh, private individuals, foundations, but the recipients never pay anything for the wheelchairs. And where, what are some of the countries that you've distributed these wheelchairs through your foundation? Well, it's easier to say what countries we haven't gone to. We've been in 153 countries on all the continents. We don't go to Europe. We focus on Eastern Europe, Latin America, Asia, Africa. Uh, we've done about uh, 3,000 of the United. I'm sorry, about 30,000 of the United States. And if people want more information about your wonderful Wheelchair Foundation, do you have a website? Yes, uh, www.wheelchairfoundation.org. Well, David Barry of the Dansville Sycamore Valley Rotary Club in California, thank you for everything you do for uh, people who need wheelchairs, and thanks for coming on Radio Rotary. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. And we'll be back with more of Radio Rotary after these important messages. This tree was never chopped down because this crutch never needed to be carved because these legs never grew weak because this child never got polio. Over the past 20 years, Rotary Club members have helped immunize over 2 billion children against polio. Now we are on the brink of eradicating this crippling disease once and for all. But we need your help. Thanks to an historic matching grant from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, every dollar Rotary raises will work twice as hard to make sure vaccines reach the people who need it, to protect the children of the world against polio forever. This is an opportunity to end polio now. Visit rotary.org slash end polio. Rotary. Humanity in Motion. For information about Rotary in the Hudson Valley, visit www.rotarydistrict7210.org. Hudson Valley Talk Radio. Well, I'm privileged to have moved me to here today from Montreal at the 2010 Rotary International Convention of a charming gentleman named Ganesh, who is from Wales, but not originally. Ganesh, good morning and welcome to Radio Rotary. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here in Montreal, see so many nice people, and tell them something about our pet project. All right, now, Ganesh, you're originally from Bangalore in India? That is correct. I lived in Wales for 50 years now, but I was born and brought up in India. And you're holding in your hand at the moment an artificial limb, a prosthesis. And tell us a little bit about what your project is called, the Rotary Japur 
limb project, what is it all about? The limb I'm holding now is known as the Jaipur limb because it was designed by an orthopedic surgeon in Jaipur in India in the early 70s. The technology is used all over the world now but it is still known as the Jaipur limb. The foot, which is the most important bit, made out of various grades of rubber and wood. And it is so made that it, there's a little bit of flexibility in the ankle so that the people who wear it can walk barefoot on all sorts of terrain. They can squat. They can sit down cross-legged. They can do everything they used to do before. So this flexibility mimics the actual human foot. Yes, it does. And this is the only low-cost prosthesis which does that, so that they're able to carry on doing whatever they used to do before. And when you say a low-cost prosthetic, uh, how much does it cost to distribute it, and where is it going around the world? To, to make and fit one of these legs it costs 25 pounds sterling, which is roughly 40 to 45 dollars. The limb is now used in most parts of the world, in the poorer countries, the technology has spread from Jaipur. The leg, which has to be made on site to, to fit the person properly, is made out of plastic drain pipe. And it takes about two and a half hours to make and fit one of these limbs. The feet are made in standard sizes and then they're attached to the foot, uh, to, to, to the leg. It doesn't take an awful lot of training because once they've had the limb fitted, Within about half an hour to an hour, they're walking on it as if they've had it for a long time. Well, it's almost like a miracle, and especially the fact that it's so low cost. I can imagine, imagine a prosthetic limb in the United States, or where you come from in Wales, would be hundreds if not thousands of dollars. Oh, yes, indeed. $2,000 to $5,000 minimum to, to, to get a leg. The, the other thing is, this leg will allow them to do the things that they used to do before. Whereas with the modern, sophisticated uh, limb, they may not be able to do those things. They won't be able to sit on the floor, uh, for, a, for example. Now, we hope to set up centers in Haiti to help the victims of the earthquake. And we are negotiating with the Haitian government and through the Rotary district in uh, the Caribbean. We hope that sooner we'll be uh, having the center set up there and producing the limbs. Well, Dr. Ganesha of the uh, Wales Rotary, thank you so much for all the great work you're doing on the Rotary Jaipur Limb Project, and thanks for joining us on Radio Rotary. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and thank you once again. My next guest on Radio Rotary is Rotarian Colin Bryant of Tooting, England, who uh, is a delightful fellow. I had a chance to speak with him uh, at breakfast. We're in the same hotel here in Montreal, and he has a project that's very close to his heart, Dictionary for Life. Good morning, Colin. Welcome to Radio Rotary. Morning, Jonah. Great to be with you and nice to talk to whoever might be listening. Is, is anybody listening? 50,000 people supposedly listen on the Internet and live uh, over Hudson Valley Talk Radio. That's fantastic, isn't it? Uh, shall I tell them a bit about the Rotary project that we're doing? Yes, yes. Dictionary for Life. What's that all about? Okay. Well, two or three years ago when I had a particular job in Britain, I looked out at Rotary Clubs and I saw they were doing lots with health, hunger, water, which are two rotary embassies, but not many were doing much about literacy in their own communities. And in Britain, one in four kids leave school without adequate literacy skills. And I set up, as a consequence of that, this project called a Dictionary for Life. And it's a high-quality, 
uh, illustrated dictionary and the uh, phenomenal rise really from 40,000 in the first year went to 80,000 in the second year and 80,000 in the third year and what we do is to encourage clubs to buy a class set that's about 30 books and to give the books to kids when they're leaving primary education uh, baby school and going to big school, uh, secondary school and they, we do it as a rite of passage they move from one school to the next and they present the book to each child as a leaving gift That's a handsomely mounted book uh, you've got some illustrations here, some copies, some samples it's uh, fully illustrated in, in uh, four colors and uh, it's quite a substantial book, several hundreds of pages but uh, as you and I discussed earlier this morning it's in proper British English no, no problem at all. Um, I've got nothing against American English. It's uh, another language, of course. And I think that uh, the rise of, the inevitable rise of American English with Bill Gates and Hollywood will mean that, I suppose, American English will conquer the world in due course. But I'll do my own little bit while I'm on Earth to try and get people in those countries where they learn British English to continue to learn it. And I hope I can encourage them by giving them a copy of this fantastic illustrated dictionary. There's no cost to the children for the dictionary, is that correct? Not at all. The... Uh, the, the game is to persuade the fat cat Rotarians in their local community to, to pay for a class set. Now, that in pounds would be about £100 to give 30 kids a book when they leave school. That's about 150 160 American dollars. It depends on the exchange rate. In a, if it's uh, as it is now, it's about $150. And the important thing is that we put a child's name in the book and there's a special event when the local club president gives the book to the child and does a five-minute spiel on this is Rotary, this is what we do, and why we're giving you the book is that we want to help the world's children get better vocabulary skills and get a better, better life opportunity with better vocabulary. Well, Colin Bryant of Tooting, uh, England, uh, Rotary, this is a terrific project. Thanks for everything you do for childhood literacy with, through Dictionary for Life. And thanks for joining us on Radio Rotary. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much, Joe. Now, I've got a little gift for you, and here it is. I'm going to give you one of these special ties, which has the uh, motive of the project. And the symbolism of it is that it's a big air-filled balloon with a little person hanging below it. And I see literacy as the big air-filled balloon helping the little guy who's hanging from it. So I hope you'll wear it when you're presenting this program and people can imagine uh, what it must be like. Well, it's a beautiful yellow and blue tie and stripes with a logo of that uh, Dictionary for Life hot air balloon. I will wear it with pride. Thank you very much, Colin. Great. Jonah, thank you very much indeed for taking the trouble to come along today. Thanks a lot. It's my pleasure now to welcome back to Radio Rotary an old friend of our program and one of the truly great Rotarians from around the world, Tom Henderson, the founder uh, of Shelterbox. Tom, welcome to Canada, and uh, welcome once again to Radio Rotary. Yeah, Jonah, good to see you again. It's always great to, to meet with our friends in the, the conference hall. It's, uh, just look around you, it's fantastic. Now, Shelterbox grew from a small German of an idea that you had while watching the television with your wife. Tell us about how Shelterbox got started. Well, uh, I'm, I'm sure people will know the story, but I never get fed of telling it. But uh, it started in front of the TV in my home in uh, 1999, watching a news program. Uh, 
TV program, truck arriving in a disaster, truck carrying food, throwing food on the floor, and people scrabbling around on the floor. And uh, I turned to my wife and said, why are they doing this? Um, people have lost everything. Why should they lose their dignity? So um, I just decided there and then in a heartbeat I would uh, try and make a difference. I wasn't quite sure what I was going to be doing. But I finished my meal, went to my study, uh, got a piece of paper, and I thought, what would I need in a disaster? And uh, I wrote down shelter, warm, food, comfort, dignity. And that's how it started. And I started project uh, a very next morning. And uh, as you can see, we've come a long way. Did you ever in your wildest imagination think it would become a worldwide effort with thousands and upon thousands of these big green tubs going around the world wherever they're needed? Well, you know, crazily enough, I did. And my wife will tell you I'm, uh, I'm um, um, criminally optimistic on, on everything that I do. So I really did see it as being a, a huge success because that's... Uh, a bit naive, but uh, well, what, what is a real joy for me, and, and you see it on the stand behind us here in the, in the hall, and uh, is the tens of thousands of people around the world that have engaged with this, our Rotary friends, our volunteers, and it's just been a huge, and for me it's very humbling to, to see it come. So yes, I always thought it was going to be successful, and even on day one I had pictures in my mind's eye of tented villages all over the world, and uh, uh, you know, say, um, that's where we are now, uh, but I say the great joy is the tens of thousands of people, it's just absolutely fabulous. Let's talk a little bit about what's in the shelter box. The shelter box is uh, what we would call in America a big sort of Teflon box. Um, it's about the size of an old-fashioned steamer trunk, and it's amazing what you can cram in there. What do you put in there for people who are in the middle of a disaster, such as a tsunami or an earthquake? Well, the clue's in the box, uh, the shelter box, in the name, I say. Um, as you say, it's the size of two large suitcases. In there we put a family tent. You can see the tent behind me. It's specially designed for, for a disaster situation. Uh, it's wind tunnel tested, special material. Uh, so that's the shelter. And you can get 10, 12 people in that in, in, a, in a disaster. All the obvious things, uh, cooking pots and pans, a stove, some water purification, some blankets, some mosquito nets, some stuff for the children. But all those sort of uh, essential things that any sensible person would uh, think they need in a disaster and it all fits in this trunk that we're, we're standing alongside and this could be picked up by two people weighs about what 100 pounds yeah it's 50 kilos in new money uh, 110 pound in old money uh, yeah and that was a part of the, the process i wanted to be able to give a box to two people and they could pick it up and wander back to where their, their house had been destroyed perhaps and go about their business to give them back this this sense of purpose let them settle down and, and perhaps give them back a bit of this dignity that we talk about and tell us about some of the places that shelter boxes have been shipped. Well, it, it's, it's seven in ten short years, and that's our tenth anniversary this year. Seventy countries in ten years, and some of the most uh, difficult areas: uh, Sudan, North Korea, Gaza, and uh, places like that. Um, Bolivia, Ecuador. Um, we know about Katrina, of course. Haiti, that dreadful disaster that happened in January this year. Uh, we put over twenty thousand of these boxes into Haiti. So, seventy countries in ten years is quite a list. And what does it uh, cost for the average shelter box to hit the ground in a, an area of disaster? Well, we talk about a shelter box solution. We, we, we stop talking about cost, price, and value. We talk about the shelter box solution. The numbers is $1,000 U.S., uh, a current value. But uh, people have to remember that it's, um, it's not just the equipment. The equipment itself is, is fit for purpose. It's the best in the world for what it can be doing. But that price also includes the cost of buying the box, packing it, storing it, insuring it, transferring it anywhere in the world, and if necessary, putting it on a donkey, walking 8,000 feet up a mountain in Nepal, and handing it out. So it's, uh, it's a done deal. It's a door-to-door -door service. A thousand bucks is what it is at the moment. And if our listeners want to help finance one of these shelter boxes, they don't have to buy one complete one. They can buy 
bits and pieces or uh, put it on their credit card to go up to $1,000, how can they reach uh, Shelterbox? Well, again, any donations. We get donations from a dollar upwards, but obviously uh, mo most organizations, particularly our Rotary Club friends, like to get the money together and buy a box because, uh, again, in, in understand that each box has a number. Each box belongs to a donor. So if you, if you donate a small amount, that goes in to make up a full box. So uh, it's very simple. Check out one of our websites, wherever you are in the world. Punch in Shell the Box on, on, the, on Google or go to a local Rotary Club. Talk to any Rotary Club in the world and they'll point you in our direction. Well, Tom Henderson, who's known by Rotarians and honored by Rotarians around the world, uh, I'm going to embarrass you a little bit. You received a very special honor within the last year, I believe, from Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, the Order of the British Empire. What's, tell us about that. Oh, well, it's a great honor. It, it, it's obviously, they don't give these things away uh, in, in great numbers. It was a great honor to meet the Queen I did some months ago, uh, a really wonderful day in Buckingham Palace. But again, it's not for me. It's a reflection of where Shelterbox is. Look around where we are now. You'll see our volunteers on the stand, the hundreds of people who are engaged with this project. So, yeah, great personal honor, but, you know, it's an honor for Shelterbox, and, and that's the way I view it. It's, a, uh, it's one for the team. Well, I'll tell you, Tom, I'll disagree on one small point, because without you, there would have been no shelter box. Tom Henderson, thank you so much for joining us again on Radio Rotary. Uh, thanks, John, and uh, thanks to all our Rotary friends out there. Without, uh, I talk about um, Rotary being the cement that binds shelter box together, and, and that's what I, what I feel. So, uh, you know, thanks to all the supporters out there, and uh, we'll see you soon. The inspirational words of Let There Be Peace on Earth, brought to us by the Rotary World Choir, we bring to a close our special coverage of the 101st Rotary International Convention here in Montreal, Canada. This is Jonah Trebowasser inviting you to join us again next Friday morning for another edition of Radio Rotary, right here on Hudson Valley Talk Radio. Millbrook Rotary invites you to their 7th annual New Year's Eve performance extravaganza on Friday, December 31st from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. Franklin Avenue in Millbrook. Enjoy lots of alcohol-free entertainment for the entire family. Music of all kinds, a circus, puppets, and more. Fun for all ages. Donations accepted for lighted holiday buttons. For more information, visit www.millbrookrotary.org. That's www.millbrookrotary.org. What would you do if a friend, co-worker, or a loved one collapsed? Calling 911 alone will not be enough. Over 1,000 people a day die from sudden cardiac arrest. Many can be saved with early intervention. HealthSave offers CPR courses on a daily basis at our facility in Rockland County. We'll come to your home or business if you prefer. Call us toll-free at 877-277-6233. That's 877-277-6233. Or visit our website website at healthsave.com. That's 
H-E-A-L-T-H-S-A-V.com. Leave the E off of save for emergencies. CPR training is for everyone. Learn CPR. Become a lifesaver. Hi, this is Sarah O'Connell. And this is Jonah Trebowasser. We're the hosts of Radio Rotary, heard Friday mornings at 9, right here on Hudson Valley Talk Radio. We have exciting news. We now have our very own website, www.radiorotary.org. Not only that, you can subscribe to our new podcasts on iTunes or on our new website. So click there today. That's www.radiorotary.org.